Hi, everyone, and welcome to Latinos in Clinical Research Community. Today, we are going to talk with Dr. Victor Samperio, who's an international medical graduate and doctor from Mexico, assistant professor, and currently um, uh, the new research director for Sun Valley Research Center, uh, the research center I work and co-own. Welcome, Victor, and thanks for taking time out of your day to be here with us. Um, so we want to get started, and we kind of want to find out more about who, who are you? What's your educational professional background? How did you get started into clinical research? And what are you currently doing right now? All right. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. And about myself. So I, I think I started my process as an IMG in my last two years of med school. I had the opportunity to do some rotations in Houston, Texas. And at that time, I had the amazing opportunity of being part of the International Medical Observers of Houston program. And during that time, I also had the opportunity to do rotation, a rotation in research. And it was during this time that I was invited to uh, join the company. And I had, a, they, they extended me uh, working like a work visa and I started with that and then I started as a clinical research coordinator and I just happened to really like it and love it and then um, after it was in oncology it started as phase two phase three uh, clinical trials and after that um, I started doing um, rapid activation clinical trials and phase one clinical trials in oncology and hematology as well and then um, I became a dad and I came back to California with the family and with my wife. And, and here, while, while I was here, I came here to Pioneers Memorial Hospital with a job opportunity. But then I came across with San Valley Research Center. And bottom line of that is uh, Judy Spresen uh, and Dr. Bernardo Inc who is also the co-owner, uh, we sat down, we talked about what can we do, how can we collaborate, and yes, then I started working here and currently as the research director. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much uh, what's been going on in the past few years. Okay, I already have questions. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so you mentioned that you started in Texas, correct? Yes, that's and right. so how did that work? Like you apply for it, it was because the university gave you that opportunity or how that process was, uh, I mean, how that process made it possible for you? So let me start with this. Nowadays, and by nowadays, I mean in the recent past two years or so, uh, it started to boom the IMG programs that they have. But for a long time, they have had programs for international medical graduates, uh, students from India, students from uh, Japan, students from Mexico, students from Colombia. And some of these programs are privately owned. And of course, they have different uh, kind of trims or, um, yes, opportunities that you can purchase with your membership. However, um, the way I started was with a relationship that the International Medical Service of Houston had with my university. 
So at some point, um, this program was developed, I think it started in 20, 2004 by a pediatrician in Houston. And he started with the local universities, like uh, next to Monterrey, next to Chihuahua. And then people started to realize that that's something that you can do. And eventually, somehow, um, my university was invited. So by the time that I was eligible, I reached out to uh, the Dean of Medicine and said, hey, I have an interest to do this. They said, uh, we have a relationship with Houston. Um, why don't you reach out to, to the CEO? I did and I applied and they accepted me. But I think what I want to highlight here is that it's been a while since these programs started to exist. Some of them are like privately owned. You, you have to be a member, you have to purchase a membership with them. And some of them are more open uh, for observerships and you don't have to be a member, but you may have to purchase just the year that you're gonna be there. So it's different trims, um, but yeah, oh, it was pretty okay. much a Okay, so in regards to that, like when you say Houston, is this a university or is this a, a, a hospital? Which organization is this? Um, so the program that I was, and it was originally, it was built for, if I'm not mistaken, for a hospital, which was the St. Joseph Hospital. It was affiliated to that hospital. However, then the program started to do a lot of um, clinic, like peripheral, peripheral clinics, like outpatient clinics. And it stopped being just a relationship with a hospital. And that program itself started to have relationship with the physician, like straight with the physicians. So they were not attached just to a hospital. So the way it works that this program in particular is that you reach out to the program and then you you may ask like, oh, you know what? I'm from Baja California, uh, Universidad Autónoma de Baja California, and I'm a student here and I would like to uh, rotate uh, two months in cardiology. Do you have something available? And then the CEO or the program manager will tell you, you know what? We happen to have a rotation in... Uh, Methodist, uh, would you be interested in coming from October to December? Oh, yes, I would love to. And that's how you do it. There are other programs that are still part of the hospital. However, there are fewer. Usually, most of them are through these privately owned programs. However, each hospital has their own academic department and sometimes they offer that um, opportunity to rotate with them that observership but something important is that they will let you come into their hospital and shadow the doctor and that's good but the thing with these other programs that are more for mentorship it's the most valuable thing you can get because at the end of the day is about the mentorship you can receive from that program rather than just being inside of a hospital. Because then the question is, okay, my rotation is over, but what's next? And that what's next is what these programs sometimes are able to guide you through. Okay, so in, in your career, what was the benefit of doing that? Networking. Uh, I think that in a word is uh, networking. A lot of, uh, I don't know, well, maybe not a lot, but in my case, uh, one of the, intrinsic 
fears that I had is, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Latino, I'm, I'm, I'm a Mexican, and oh, how am I going to ever like step on these big renowned hospitals or how will ever I get my resume to somebody to read it? And having these opportunities as observerships are those events that help you get that step, do the next step of getting your foot in the door. And it's networking that helps you. For example, in my case, I was doing a rotation in oncology uh, research and I had a fantastic uh, mentor, Dr. Julio Peguero. And while I was doing that, he told me, what, what are your plans after uh, you finish your rotation? I said, well, to be honest, uh, I have to go back to Mexico because I mean, I'm Mexican, so I have to go back. He said, uh, I would like you to join my team. And I said, well, fantastic, but how do we do that? And then he told me, don't worry about it. There's a process and we'll guide you through it. And the company, uh, which is Oncology Consultants, uh, to who I'm very grateful, uh, very, very grateful because they, they taught me a lot, is uh, they walked me through that process and that's how I got that first opportunity. So for me, it was networking because that's what triggered everything that came after that. Okay, well, because you took the advantage of it, uh, I imagine. So, I mean, <laughs> if 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 you did give you the opportunity, I imagine you you actually open yourself that opportunity, like you work really hard for that, um, and uh, and you earn it. That's the word that I was looking for. Um, okay, so if for example, uh, I mean, if, if if this video is seen by an IMD that has interest that lives who knows, somewhere in the world, and they they would like to go to Houston to check uh, these uh, programs, where should they go? That's a good question. Um, actually, uh, I when, when I was in Houston, I was talking to, to the CEO, her name is Mary Taylor. We became very close, very friends. Uh, and we're talking precisely uh, how do we get more people to like network and know you and all of this? And one of the ideas that I came across was doing a website. And on this website, uh, it's a website like that is more of like a blog that I'm trying to multi-purpose uh, for having the academic portion there for people that wants to know about it, but also a few entries for blog for clinical research, but redirected more for patients. Maybe in the future, I'll have to expand the scope of that blog. But for now, uh, the audience is like patients looking for answers in, in clinical research, but there's a tab on this website. In uh, that tab takes you to two academic programs. And one is precisely the Houston program. And two is the program that we're trying to uh, develop here in uh, Southern California as well. Okay, okay, that's great. And, you know, if I can um, just step in and add, um, so the program specifically, like you're speaking of, was the was those more tailored within like Texas or Houston and Mexico only, like at that time, or were they taking other IMGs? That that that's a that's a great question. So. Um, speaking of who can apply, it's pretty much anyone that wants to apply can apply. Um, the caveat here is that 
you need to have the ability to go into the United States. You don't you don't receive a visa for joining this program or you don't get a, a student visa for that. It's you can do this under like the observerships, you can do it under the a tourist visa. It's one of the things or elements that you can do with that visa. You can uh have uh, observership rotations. So what I'm trying to say is going to this program, they're not going to give you a visa. But if you have the opportunity that you already have a visa and you're looking for an observership, they can help you uh, get that. So pretty much anyone that has the ability to go into the U.S. can apply to this. Um, now, in terms of do they only have rotations in Houston? We spoke about it, uh, Marion and myself, uh, a, a few years ago, and the the project is that she would like to, at some point, expand it throughout the U.S. and have more foreign MDs be part of the network that is with her. But because she pretty much does most of the management of this program, uh, it's only so much that she can grow. So for now, it is kind of limited into Houston, but not 100%. If you ask her if she knows someone from Mayo Clinic or if you know someone like the, 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 the I don't know, Arizona or, or, or Cleveland or Florida, uh, she most likely will know someone. So she may tell you, you know what, I'm going to help you with the contact, but I do not have as much oversight as I would have in Houston. That sounds very interesting that. She sounds like somebody that we would like to speak with too. <laughs> oh yeah, as we have as we have many many students that happen to be IMDs, um, and we have students from all over the world. Um, maybe that's that's something that we could uh, work on in the future to help as many doctors as possible, right? Uh, especially with such a a need of opportunities. Yes, absolutely. Uh, she's been doing this for, for a long time, so she has a lot of experience. And uh, the nice thing is that she has the experience from, oh, yes, we already had this university to, we have never had anyone from this university and they don't know what to do or what's the process or, and she would quite literally guide them through the process. So all it takes is just one student reaching out to, to her and uh, of course if she has the ability to she will help uh, but yes I think she's a she's a person you most likely would like to interview at some point okay so then continuing with your story <laughs> you sorry another that, question actually yeah, before yeah, we move on to that <laughs> so those that have participated in that program that came and did their uh, observership how many actually stayed in research or were given some kind of opportunity in research aside from yourself, like that you know of, or does that happen That's a lot? A great question. <laughs> a lot of good questions. Um, so here's the thing, uh, from a personal, like from my experience, when you go to Houston, you're not expecting to find IMGs working there. You think that you're gonna go do your thing and meet other observers and then go back. But the reality is that once you go there, uh, you meet a lot of people that have other kinds of work. Like, for example, some MAs, some medical scribes, some uh, going to research. 
Now, the thing with research is the same that happens with patients. Sometimes they just don't know enough about clinical research. And I don't know other countries, but in Mexico, what happens sometimes is that we know uh, the bench research, the basic research. Academic. Academic research. We know that research. And sometimes we have experience with epidemiology or something like that. But the process of pharma CRO side, that's something that most schools do not teach you. Like for, for instance, if, if they did, I missed that class. But that's the reason I think that it was not as popular as a medical assistant and medical scribe. In the past few years, maybe because now I'm part of that industry, I have seen more IMGs going into these positions. I also think that course, the industry is expanding and growing. So now they need more staff that can fit into those roles. But if you ask me from the IMGs from your generation, like specifically from your generation, how many did they stay for research? I would, I don't know, like all of them to this day. So, but immediate offers, I would say like one or two. Uh, I know some other generations that afterwards got invited to participate or to to join to be hired, but afterwards, uh, but my generation, I think it was one or two, perhaps, including myself. Yeah, that that that's why we need to speak with your um, contact <laughs> because we can offer those opportunities or we can work on that. We can help. Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing is that I mean we know how most industry works that somebody needs a CRC or somebody needs uh, some job title here, insert a job title here. And they ask the colleague, like, do you know a CRC that you can refer to me? Or do you happen to know somebody that could be a good uh, research assistant or a good MA? And that's where these programs like the Houston program uh, works because I used to do that with Mary all the time. Like, you know what, uh, we're looking for a CRC, like, do you know someone? And she will tell me, oh, yes, you know what, we had this student uh, like three years ago or something. He had to go back to Mexico because these reasons, uh, but you should reach out to him or to her. Um, I'm, I'm sure they will be interested. And then sometimes we reach out and they came and sometimes they were busy. But yeah, it's definitely a, a good opportunity when you can network uh, somebody that has that much traffic of international medical graduates. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we need as many as INGs as possible in the industry, and 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 obviously, these opportunities are also great for them. I mean, rather than being doing uh, medical assistant or something else, research is much more uh, solid um, opportunity. I think. I mean. Uh, or what do you think about that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, bunch of good questions. Um, so for example, I was in Houston. I was in this company, Oncology Consultants, and the director of research had a team. And this team was mostly of IMGs and a nurse. Probably this team already changed, but that was a team back then. And the thing is that Sometimes he had a medical scribe and he would much rather have a medical, uh, international medical graduate sometimes even than some nurses or some 
PhD people or uh, master's degree people because not because they're not smart or anything. No, 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 that's not the case. They are very competent, but the international medical graduate can get a faster pace on how a clinic works. And sometimes what he liked a lot is that we would be ahead of the curve. So he didn't have to just step out of the room and say like, okay, I need a CBC, CMP, uh, MRI, I need this and this and this. Sometimes we would just step out of the room and we would be the ones like CBC, CMP, da, 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 da. And he would say, yes, correct. So, and the same goes for reviewing some items. Uh, we would always make sure that we didn't miss anything. So he loved that. So from the perspective of what's better, I couldn't say a position is better than the other because the reality is that as an international medical graduate, you can bring so much value to each position and be very fundamental to the team and you're part of that core team. So I think at the end of the day, when you have a mentor or when you have a manager or a director that is willing to help you grow, uh, it would be just a matter of picking which one accommodates most to what you ambition or what you're seeking. So yeah, I think it's pretty much depends on what the IMG is trying to get from that experience. Oh, that's a great answer. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a great answer. Just because, I mean, obviously, we we always advocate more for research because of the opportunities that it has and and uh, that essentially the doctors don't really need to ever get accredited in order to keep growing and go to the major positions, even becoming um, a, a medical, I mean, a, a medical monitor. So uh, even without the certificate, as being certified as a doctor in the United States, they can still be uh, or become a medical director, a medical monitor. So uh, in that in that regard, that's why we advocate so much for research. And obviously, because we all are involved in this and feel a lot of passion for this. But now that you mentioned that, there's a different perspective and, and also... Um, broaden more opportunities for the the IMDs. Yes, because um it has happened that I have talked to people and say, you know what, we need we need a CRC. Uh would you like to to come? And sometimes they used to say, uh I'm a scribe right now. I I want to stay as a scribe. And I would say like, but why? I just like more the day-to-day -day outpatient setting. I just like talking to the patients. Um which we also have in clinical research, but they would say, yeah, but I I just like feeling like part of the, an extension of the physician. So I think at the end of the day, it's more like a perspective that they have. And sometimes I think that some people don't know at all what is to be a CRC and maybe they would like it if they had that opportunity, but some people is just wired in a more clinical fashion and, and they want to pursue that. And also something that is very important uh, that I just remembered from this uh, oncology practice that I was working at is the tremendous impact that it has to be part of a team that represents a minority. Because it has 
come across several times that I was an observer and I was watching, uh, I don't know, the physician and the physician is, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever race and ethnicity you want to insert here, but it's not Hispanic. And I would go into the room and I would start speaking Spanish and they would be like, oh yes, this is my name, my date of birth, blah, blah, blah. But if they heard that I spoke Spanish, that I was speaking Spanish, that would make their day like, oh, hablas español. Sí, 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 sí. ¿De dónde es usted? Ah, no, pues yo soy de Sonora. Ah, qué padre que es hasta acá. And it doesn't sound like much, but then you realize sometimes how our, you know, the Hispanic community, our community can be neglected. Because sometimes whatever they have in network is not, doesn't include like a Mexican doctor because that's not part of, you know, the uh, coverage that they have. It's just they have a doctor. These are the doctors in network. And if they don't happen to speak Spanish, well, maybe somebody in their staff knows Spanish, but that's where it becomes handy that if you have a scribe that speaks Spanish and likes clinic and it's an IMG, it is much easier because you are able to engage mass much easier. There's a smoother like kind of transition and you get more uh, interaction and the patient is more open and willing to talk to you because they feel safe. And that's that's also part of being in research and being Hispanic and being bilingual. It makes a huge impact uh, because in an industry also happens that there's stigma and taboo about clinical research and sometimes they're scared they're scared and nobody's speaking their language they they don't come from the same roots and they just don't understand so to be able to say ¿Cómo se lo explico mi abuelita? like just like <laughs> how would you think um helps a lot so i think talking about imgs uh talking about latinos for these but this also happens across other ethnicities and races. I mean, being part of that uh, niche is something that people truly value and truly need. So, yeah. You actually made me think that, I mean, if the professionals are kind of scared of research, imagine the patients. Yes. It's, ah. It seems like a total wild animal that, I mean, I don't know if I should go there. <laughs> Yeah, it it's yeah, it it's it's a, it can be a lot. Um especially when you're dealing with um uh, chronic illness, uh so patients with Alzheimer's disease, patients with uh cancer, uh patients that are vulnerable. So you need someone that can break everything down to you into little pieces and the benefit of having IMGs in, in this is that if you have a CRC that is an IMG, it's easier sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes to break down what the protocol means or what the objective means. And that also happens when there's people that are in that same medical branch. So also applies for psychologists, also applies for nurses, people that have that background make you feel more confident because if not, what you have to do is say, Oh, I don't know. Let me ask someone. Oh, I don't know. Let me ask someone. And that kind of breaks the, not the illusion of us knowing all, but it makes the patient sometimes doubt. Like, 
do they know what they're doing? Do they know the answers? Because they think that they're going to go into a place where everyone has the answer, although it doesn't work like that. But that's sometimes the impression that the patients have. So for sure, having someone with medical knowledge and having someone with the bilingual capacity, uh, that's that's priceless for a site owner or for uh, an institution to have. Yeah, that's extremely important. And I like that last part you mentioned. I mean, everything is an importance. I'm, I want to clip that out and send it to the sponsor CROs so they can understand because that's something we we talk about, like just what you described in the clinic setting needs to also be in place in clinical research, right? If you're working with minorities, with Latinos, that you have the staff there that can speak the same language because of exactly what you just described, right? Those those fears, they're not sure, they don't know, I don't, do they really understand what they're being told if it's not in their language? So I think that's extremely important. And I love that you mentioned that. Um, so I hope, take note, sponsor Sierra's, I hope they get yes. to watch this video. <laughs> I actually, I was thinking that sometimes the IMDs don't understand the, the huge value they're bringing. It's like I see so many um, IMDs and they are, they are kind of scared to go and look for these opportunities and, and, they, and, and, and they don't think uh, how much we want them. Like really, it's, it's like uh, uh, before, before actually Judy um find you or or you guys got together she was always looking for IMDs I'm still looking for IMDs and I'm in California and it's not easy it's not easy we created a whole group just to connect with IMDs and it's not being easy so um and 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 the opportunities that they could have in here are just endless right and and, and like you were mentioning I think sometimes because in the universities, on the medical schools, the doctors learn about uh, academic research. They have the wrong idea about the the whole, um, I mean, the research, the industry research. So uh, I think we need to we need to to advocate even more than uh, than we do for that, and to give more opportunities to these IMDs because we truly need them. Uh, it's not just enough with the doctors uh, here. We need more, more medical practitioners, and and uh, who's better than than IMDs to to bring that diversity that is terribly needed, right? Um, so I, I really like uh, what you were mentioning, and and all your your background is amazing. I I saw that you have in your in your CV seventy two studies already, uh, so. Yeah, Tell us them, a little bit more. <laughs> so, uh, like, to be fair, uh, some of them were studies that I was the primary coordinator. Some of them are I was the backup. Um, something that most sites do is, of course, we uh, cross-train. Like, we do training to have one or two backups. So, yes. But uh, recently, for example, well, when I joined here, I became a sub-I. So now I have... I don't know, but part of those are as a sub investigator. And that's also something that there's questions sometimes like who can be a sub investigator? Can an IMG be a sub investigator? And the reality is that uh, they can. I mean, they don't have to be the one doing the physical exam. They don't have to be the one um, doing the relationship with the AEs. They, they don't have to be the ones prescribing. But if these IMGs are bringing 
a lot to the table for the conduction of this study. They're fundamental for this, and they are fundamental for 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 the PI for the for the site itself. Then they can be that. Um, and of course, before that, they have to learn. So maybe they start as an RA or they start as a CRC. Like, yeah, it's a it's an evolution. It's a path, right? But sometimes we get scared as IMGs because we think what am what can i give to this industry like i'm just a tiny person in a tiny country like what can i do and that's the funny part because we need them and that's the strength <laughs> yes, and, and i i sometimes talk to the professors at the university and i and they tell me oh i have this student that uh is working for this and that but he works uh, 12 hours a day, 18 hours a day, and he gets paid so little and he didn't want to go to residency, medical residency. And now he's struggling with money. And I'm like, why don't he apply to this and that? I mean, he can do that. Oh, no, 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 that, no, no, no. We don't have that kind of connections. Like, and I'm like, you don't, you don't need that kind of connections. You just need like somebody that it's in the industry. And then we can have like a 10 minute conversation, 20, if you have time and they'll point you to the right direction. Now it's fair to say that not every single CRO or not every single sponsor is gonna be willing to give a visa. But even then research is going now to uh, Latino uh, countries and they can start there and eventually get like reassigned somewhere in the US or somewhere, somewhere else in the world. But if not, there's still a lot of medium to small sites uh, in research that are struggling to have people. Um, so one of the best advices I can give to people looking for CRCs or coordinators is, for example, Latinos, like reach out to Latinos, absolutely. Um, but also be close to people that work for universities, because for example, I have that opportunity that I'm an assistant professor for the university that is right, right across the border. And when I came back from Houston, I told the Dean of Medicine, you know, uh, if you want, we can do this. Like, we're not gonna replace Houston. Houston is Houston. Houston is like Houston, that big. But if you want some support, we can try to get something local. We can do something and while we do that, we can get more people to know that if they need CRCs, they can reach out to our university. They can reach out to our side. We, and that's sort of what we have tried to build and we're, what we're trying to build. That is as easy as, hey, Judy, you know what? I need a CRC. Judy tells me, hey, Dr. Sombrero, we need a CRC. Do you happen to know someone in as easy as that? I mean, a lot of physicians graduate every year and they don't have a straight path to go and they don't know what to do and they want something else than just doing the hospital. And I think this is a great opportunity. They can explore these options as well. Okay. And now that you mentioned that part, um, I mean, of the, the visas that the sponsors sometimes or the CROs are not willing to do it. Uh, how did it work for you? So this is where... Uh, it changes a little bit for some countries. So, for example, in Mexico, Mexico, U.S., the U.S. and Canada have the NAFTA, right? 
And under NAFTA, uh, they created a type of visa that works for these countries, which is the TN visa, a T as in Taco and N as in Nancy. And under this visa, it's a visa that where you don't have the intent to immigrate to the US, meaning different from a green card. And, and of course, let me just make my formal disclaimer that this is not legal advice. Like I'm not an expert on this matter. But <laughs> oh, thank you. And, you know, you're sharing your experience or the knowledge that you have. That's it. not experience. Yes. He's a doctor, not a lawyer, not an immigration <laughs> lawyer. But for what I researched back then when I was going through that process is precisely that there's this kind of visas. And under this type of visa, different from a green card or an H-1B visa where you have the opportunity then to fully like immigrate to the U.S. and become a resident or become a citizen, these are more, I'm just coming to do my thing. And then if my contract expires, then I can go back to my, my country. And that's a an easy visa to obtain relatively easy because what you need is to be in the case of Latino uh, physicians uh, be Mexican and just have somebody that is willing to extend the job offer and then you just pretty much follow the steps that are on the website uh, I don't know the website but there's their website for immigration that is the government and if you don't want to deal with that, you can always hire like an immigration attorney and they will take care of that. Like on your behalf, it, it can be an attorney on the U.S. side. It can be an attorney on the Mexico side. Like it doesn't really matter as long as they have the experience with that. And it, it can be as simple as that. And it doesn't, it's not restricted to only positions. There's a list of professions that can apply for this visa. And it's a relatively inexpensive visa. I can, well, I don't, I don't know how much it costs right now, but it's got to be like less than $200, something like that. Like, don't quote me on that, but it's a fairly economic option in contrast to other visas where you have to be an investor and invest 250 k to apply to an investor visa or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's, sort of the process to to get that now one of the realities is that they there has to be a need in that community for that job and it has to be po posted you cannot just create random positions for people across like mexico like no it's mostly for positions that are hard to feel like for example in our community it's hard to get uh, people that has a background that matches uh, an IMG or the needs that we have for some complex trials. And like you mentioned, it, it's it's been 16 years since we opened the site and they have struggled at times to find people that have the qualifications. So in the case of our site, it more than justifies that. We need someone that knows, that has a medical background and we need, know, so we need someone that knows um, basic science skills at the very least. And we need someone that is bilingual. And then when you try to put those together, it sounds simple, but it's not always the case. 
And sometimes we have talent, we have local talent that we have IBC, uh, Imperial Valley College, Imperial. Yes, I Imperial Valley College. <laughs> uh, and we have a lot of talent from there. We have nurses, but the reality is that also we're a small community. So sometimes people that graduate from here are looking for bigger opportunities and they want to go to New York. They want to go to Houston. They want to go Washington. They want to go somewhere else. And, and that's fair. And I mean, that's why they are training so hard because they are seeking their dreams, right? But sometimes uh, Latinos just really want to, you know, start somewhere, go somewhere. And that's the beauty of these opportunities that they are not going to say, oh, no, this is, this is, this is not New York. Like, I'm not going to take it. Or this is not Houston. Sometimes there's, they just want to go into the U.S. and have an opportunity. Some of them, like Cross myself. Cross the border. Yeah. And I'm here. <laughs> I don't need to go nowhere else. <laughs> I, have, I have family across the border. So I want to stay close to my family. So I was in Houston, but I came back because I want to stay close to my family. So that was my next question to you. So yeah. how how I mean being in Texas and then how did you end up in California? How did you find how were how lucky were you to find Judy? <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I was born and raised in Mexicali, Baja California, which is right across the border um, from uh, Calexico, California. So did I know very well the Imperial Valley and surrounding areas? No, like to this day, I am I, not very familiar. I get lost easily. But I knew that Imperial, probably uh, Calexico were areas close to home. So for example, if I wanna go home right now, it would be probably 20 minutes drive. So that's very good. Yes, that's, that's very good for me. Convenient. And I, I happen to have a sensory, so I can go in and out, and that facilitates everything. So how did they found and um, Judy? It's funny because actually my mother-in-law was actually also looking for job opportunities, and she told me there's this site. There's this site that does research. Uh, why don't you email your CV and see if they have, you know, something for you and because i came not to work for research because i didn't know about this site i came to work for the hospital and then a few weeks months i don't know uh went and i got an email back from judy and she told me oh yes uh actually let's meet and yeah then here we are that's so great. I mean, the universe truly worked for both of you. <laughs> yes. And I just want to throw it in there that his mother-in-law is also an IMG. <laughs> oh, my but, gosh. But she worked, she worked many years for the public health department for Imperial County. And yeah. Wow. And then now, now she does, um, she actually assists us with marketing outreach um, in research as well. <laughs> Wow, yes. so lucky you got the whole family, Julie. <laughs> yes, it's worked out very well. So I'm actually very happy that, you know, I had um, these two, you know, candidates come to us at a time where I, it was weird. Like we weren't really looking. I think marketing outreach, maybe we were looking for someone to replace 
Um, and then when we did hire, you know, um, his mother-in-law, and then I think we were okay. We weren't going to hire anyone. And that's when I got um, Dr. Sambero's resume. And it took me a little bit to get back to him, but I was like, wow, he has a huge background for someone in Imperial County that you don't really see, as he mentioned, there's not very many candidates that have clinical research background. So I had, of course, I had to meet with him and then that's it. So it kind of, it worked out. <laughs> okay, Julie, this is a question for you. How, how did you feel uh, having an IND working with you, opening a different um, therapeutic area or expanding yeah. on a different therapeutic area? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I actually had never really had the experience of working with IMGs. You know, we talk about it. We've talked to people virtually remote, but I've never personally worked with them, in a, especially in a clinical research setting. So when he did come on board, it was actually a really great experience to have someone that has this medical background on top of a research background. And he was able to incorporate into the team we already have and just help um, elevate us, I guess, more improve, you know, come in and you know, and we're actually in the process of revamping a lot of our internal processes. But the fact that he has this whole expertise that even the staff, you know, can go and ask him questions on um, and they feel, you know, they can collaborate. You know, if they run into something, they can consult with him, figure out what's the next step. Right. Or the best response or the next thing that we should do. Um, so it's been a great um, I think a great thing for our research center, for the team. Um, and definitely, um, you know, I, I, I have a whole different perspective of working with IMGs because, like I said, I didn't have any experience and I definitely recommend them. I think they're great to a clinical research studying, um, you know, whether it's a coordinator in the other position. He's also a rater, so I don't know if you talked about that, but he's been approved on a lot of our depression studies as a rater to administer most of the rating cognitive scales that are done in like depression studies. Um, and so that, that has been extremely helpful because as you know, working in psych CNS, it's very hard to get raters or to get more staff to be raters, right? Cause the qualifications as a raider are very, um, high, I guess the requests, um, to get a raider approved. So it's definitely something I recommend for other research centers to continue to consider. And if you ever have candidates or reach out for IMGs, definitely, uh, make the investment and bring them on board. That's, that's such a great uh, information because obviously a lot of people don't, the IMDs don't know about these opportunities and many times the sites or the organizations don't know yeah. the, the, the great, um, or the, um, how, how can I say this? The, the Everything the, they can the, bring. They, you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And how can exactly. they enrich an organization? And uh, with exactly. the medical perspective, and and obviously bringing all that diversity that they bring from whatever country they are coming from. Uh, so if you are an IMG out there and you are looking for opportunities, and if you're scared of research, come and talk to us. We will be more than happy to guide you. Um, uh, uh, to look for us on uh, the Latinos in Clinical Research website or the University of Clinical Research website. We, we're going to share the websites down this video. But it's, it's just um, um, very interesting how can we uh, merge these two um, groups, the, the IMDs and obviously the research uh, organizations to, to enrich the, 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 the the profession or the careers and 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 obviously 
the projects, the studies, because this is this is actually another great way to bring diversity. Um, obviously, there are many doctors out there, the, the, the um, sponsors and CROs and sites are always looking for principal investigators that have that background, but we don't have as many. Uh, why not taking a chance with the IMBs? They bring the, I mean, they are doctors, no accredited here, but still doctors. It doesn't matter where you study, right. you're still a doctor, right? So Exactly. Uh, I think that's a, such a great uh, mix. We have a member, Lucia, stating bilingual rater. This is one of the biggest barriers to enrolling Spanish-speaking patients in a neuro trials that she used to work on. Yep. Yep. Exactly. 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 <laughs> uh, and Christine is also mentioning it's so... Uh, it's, it's, it's also very helpful when the scribe is bilingual, especially in Texas, California, places where a lot of patients speak mm -hmm. Spanish. And the same mm -hmm. for the CRCs. And I mean, the, the, the IMDs can enrich so much the, the clinics and can bring so much to the industry. And, uh, and especially now that we're talking so much about diversity, I think this, this could be one of those uh, golden nuggets. <laughs> yeah, and no, I agree. In going back to to the to the raiders, that's actually actually something uh, very important also to highlight because sometimes you raid, you're doing ratings, and when it's English and it's straightforward, like you don't have any problems. Cool, but sometimes uh, patients are sometimes are Hispanic. It doesn't have some level of education, sometimes struggle to verbalize, like to communicate, to put into words, like, how do you feel? And that's sometimes the difference between someone that understands Spanish and it's bilingual, but didn't grow with the Spanish portion or they don't know how to write like in Spanish or they don't are not fluent in Spanish. And that's where sometimes the IMG can help because they were trained in, in, in Mexico, so they learned to do everything in Spanish. So they have this approach to the patient as they would do if they were in clinic in Mexico. And that's something that I, I also see uh, sometimes happening in clinical research that sometimes patients want to ex express like an AE and they would say, oh, yes, my... My, my me duele la cabeza, pero me punza y me, me, me siento que tengo <laughs> And then perhaps somebody says, oh, has a headache. But perhaps somebody that has a medical background would say, wait a minute, can this be a migraine? And then start asking like, because it's a great thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you have a tension headache versus you have like a migraine. But somebody that is not fluent in Spanish only hears like, me duele la cabeza, I have a headache versus what it's behind that context. So I think that's part of the thing that that help us in. Yeah, which by the way, I forgot to mention before, but I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, we are also onboarding uh, Dr. Rodriguez, Pedro Rodriguez, who happens to be another IMG that is now joining our um, our site. Yeah, I, I, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> He's in my class. <laughs> Let's mention that as well. <laughs> Yes, and, yes. and he's actually newer to research, which is why we, we wanted him to do, do your class to get, you know, the intro to, you know, CRCs and all that. So, so when he came on board, he was a lot more familiar <laughs> um, training-wise, yeah. 
And he also came with the same questions. I remember calling him and saying, hey, we have we have this opportunity. We have this need, actually. Um, what do you think? And it, the conversation, I think it started as, it usually starts with us IMGs, which is, pero si puedo. Pero si voy a Pero si voy a poder. And that's, that's the thing that it's a, those are very valid questions, questions that I had, but it takes one to walk you through it a little bit because sometimes it's, it's, it's scary. It can be scary. It can be a scary process doing the steps for the board to like the, the revalidating the, 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 the career in the U S applying to Mexico, uh, to medical residency, um, doing an article, like a medical article or going into uh, match. your match or yeah, like a clinical research, everything can be scary and it's challenging. So I think that it's key that people have mentors, especially mentors that share a background that it's similar to their. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree and it to be, I know I've been quiet this whole time, but just to, <laughs> one of the reasons why I love LICR is because you know, it's an opportunity and not just LICR, other organizations out there too for minorities. It's an opportunity for you to meet and hear other people's stories and potentially reach out and make it create mm -hmm. um, a new mentor for yourself that's in a whole other location that is open and willing to help. Thank you for sharing your story, Victor. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. Oh I think I think Pedro is going to need to show <laughs> we'll have to have him on in the future <laughs> yeah so he can tell us his whole story too <laughs> yeah and victor real quick i don't think you mentioned it but now you know you're working with us but what's your next step like the, you're in the process of yeah. i don't think you talked about it right so yeah well really uh quick while i was uh, applying to my first job and while i was in my other job and transitioning jobs and this and that uh i've been doing my my steps which is uh the requirements that we need for the usmle the united states medical licensing examination and you need uh step one step two and the oet that it's an english test uh in order to apply to medical residency you can also apply to step three if you have the time but uh most programs will accept people just with these other three tests and that's also like a whole conversation about how to do that because that's the i think one of the most scary portions of how to do and go through the steps but uh right now i have completed those three i just have step three pending but i intend to do it this year before actually matching so i don't have to do it while i'm in resident medical residency and right now I have submitted all my paperwork and I'll just have to wait. So the application moment starts because there's a process where you can, there's a time where you can upload everything. And then there's a time where you can actually submit to the hospitals. So that time is not yet. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much the next step for me. Hopefully I'll get a few interviews and hopefully somebody will like to review my my application and hopefully I can match somewhere. Well, we wish you all the best. Uh, awesome. Having research in your background is also a highlight uh, to get match. In fact, I, I say this uh, from the experiences I have here from the students of research in our classes um, in the university. Uh, we had in the past students that 
their intention to join research was merely because they wanted to to get much um, faster or because they wanted to get more uh, a more solid uh, CV. And that's what happened with these students that they were um, looking for, I mean, obviously to get into research so they could add that to their CVs and get uh, um, better opportunities or, or at least um, their CV was, um, I mean, the research highlighted their CVs. So they were more, more desirable candidates. And, and I have seen many students going through this and, and, and achieving the goal. And the same with the pre-med students. Uh, when they do research, they also get selected faster for universities because that makes them more desirable. Oh yeah, and actually that's that's very accurate, that's very correct. Um, because also one thing of applying to medical residency is that sometimes they ask you for US clinical experience. And sometimes you do the observership, but they want something higher than an observership. So the fact that you can also have as a professional experience, like working, that also contributes a lot because programs also want to see that you understand how the system in the US works and being part of clinical research exposes you a lot uh, to how things work from sometimes even insurances to how to order things, uh, how different levels of research work. So yeah, it's a great opportunity as well for the IMGs to have uh, experience before the match. All right, so Amazing. we're reaching the, the, thank you very much for all your, your um, knowledge and for sharing with us and with all the IMGs out there, um, how can they get into this and how easy it is. Uh, don't be scared, we want you. Please come to us. <laughs> All the IMDs out down there are out there, um, and uh, and if if anybody else have a question, uh, this is perfect timing before we we just finish this amazing webinar. Yes, and in the meantime, just for everybody to know, we will when we post this recording, we will also um, put the link for Victor's LinkedIn so you can get connected with him. Do you have any questions or just to network? Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Victor, for your, your story and for sharing it so detailedly. And uh, we really do hope that it helps many people out there that are going through this uh, particular pathway. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. It doesn't seem like we have any questions. Judy, did you have anything that you wanted to add before we let we hang up for today? No, thank you, Victor, for sharing your story with everyone. Um, and I know Christine had to go. She just said um, she hopes more AMGs join clinical research soon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Judy, for this idea. It was really amazing. So the next one is going to be with Marianne and Pedro. And hopefully we can do one in Spanish, too, so we can share it with uh, all the rest of the world. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you guys so much. Appreciate it, Victor. Till next time. Um, thank you, LACR members, and we will see you next month. Thank you very much for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.